You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. In this episode, Candace and Cher continue the conversation about grief and loss. Slowing down and allowing our grief to be honored can lead to powerful shifts toward healing from complex childhood trauma. Listen in as Candace and Cher invite you to consider how grieving leads to more healing. Hey, Cher. Hey, Candace. How are you today? I'm doing well. It was great to wake up and see your face bright and early. I know, because if you're watching on YouTube, Cher and I are doing our podcast together today in chilly, chilly Des Moines, Iowa. Woohoo, Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> and we set up our little stage here with a picture that Cher found that says Des Moines. Woohoo. Yeah, we weren't sure how this was going to work. So we're just thankful to be together today and continue the conversation that we started last week about grief. Yeah, We've had a little bit of feedback and thought it would be helpful to set an intention today and really just ask a question. And do you want to kind of tell our listeners what our intention is today? <laughs> what is our intention? <laughs> what is our intention? Well, I think we're, we've talked about this previously about the window of tolerance. And so we have found in our own lives, and so we're bringing this to our listeners to really begin to identify where we fall on the window of tolerance when it comes to our feelings of grief. And and by grief, we're talking about a lot of complexity is in, it might be sadness, it might be sorrow, there might be anger, there might be irritation or distress. But when it comes to grief and our feelings of grief, do we move more toward hyper arousal or hypo arousal? And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but we want to just give a real brief recap of what is the window of tolerance, what is hyper, what is hypo, and then so do you want to just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I will. And I also want to say that when we're talking about grief, we're we're talking about loss. We're talking about a loss that we've experienced, specifically having complex childhood trauma. Now this is still going to apply to grief in general. And so even though we're talking specifically about complex childhood trauma, our intention today is for you to be curious about what your relationship is with the feelings of grief. And so the window of tolerance is this, it's a scale that we like to look at that we was really first introduced to this, I think through Adam Young, more specifically affect regulation. Yeah. So on a scale from one to 10, one, you're going to have hypo arousal and 10 you have hyper arousal those are the extremes yeah. so when we get triggered or what's called dysregulated we are going to lean towards one or the other and we usually do have one that we predominantly lean towards although we can go to both and so when we go to hypo arousal those numbers from 1 to 10 1 2 and 3 we're going to be more in shutdown mode, more in low energy, depression. It's going into your bedroom and shutting the door and just wanting to disconnect from everything. And then when you get into that 
eight, nine, and 10 on the hyperarousal, it's high energy, it's panic, it's anxiety. And we've, we've named this before, but share tends to go to hypo and I go to hyperarousal. The window of tolerance is the numbers between four and seven where there's integration. So it's the place where your prefrontal cortex and your limbic brain are actually working together to help you process feelings and emotions. There's still aliveness. There's still energy, but it is more balanced. Yeah. Just curious, share when it comes to your feelings of grief, when that begins to happen for you, what, what is your experience in that place? Yeah, and I'll talk a little bit about what has it been, because in the last, I would say, six months, really, even starting, you know, probably a year and a half ago, but especially in the six last six months, I've just come so far in being able to be, to stay connected when I feel those feelings of grief and loss and pain. But historically for me, I think whenever I began to feel distress, when it came to aspects of sadness, loneliness, emptiness, I would automatically, I think the first thing for me is there would be some level of dissociation mm-hmm. where I just could, I, I couldn't stay connected. So I could, you said, sometimes when a person is in a hypo arousal, they'll go in their bedroom and close the door. I think for me, I could function just fine mm-hmm. because I just, and this is the way my brain works. This is not a conscious decision. Every, all my feelings just got shut down and I, I just did what needed to be done. I just kept coping and doing what life called on me to do. And so I yeah. also remember, I, this, this just keeps popping up and I've heard you say this, and I'm wondering if any of our listeners can relate to this. I've heard you say several times, you had a feeling that you felt like you were just floating away. Mm-hmm. What what was that like? Yeah. Because that's disassociation, right? Yeah. So it's it's when the, the sensation and, and it's it's really hard. I remember when I started doing story work and one of the questions that came up a lot was what are you feeling in your body? And my answer for so long was nothing. I feel nothing in my body. But my body was giving signals. I just was so disconnected from it. I was not aware at all. But it is when the sensations of emotions, when when our body feels them, that is what causes us to move toward hypo or hyper arousal. Just laughing. Sorry, if you're, this, this is okay because I'm, I'm having this contrast between me and you, right? Yeah. You're kind of floating away. I'm freaking exploding. Yeah. I feel like intensity, yeah. mm-hmm. and I don't know why that just made me laugh because it, it's a beautiful thing that we can help each other in those spaces. Right. Yeah. Because if you get really excited, I can come in and be very soothing. But I also am desperately in need of a person that can look at me and say, where did you go? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for others to identify hypoarousal in a person unless you have some awareness of that. And so I've been missed many, many times because I don't send out distressing signals. 
Mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm, I'm not really present, but a lot of times people aren't aware that I'm not present. That feels very significant mm-hmm. because how many of our listeners maybe even feel resentful mm-hmm. that no one's coming for them. Right. And if we don't have anyone around us that can see mm-hmm. That we're not just being sweet and quiet. Yeah. We're 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 suffering. Yeah. There's distress. And you use the word someone coming for us, which just makes me think about how when we were children in these experiences of trauma, and then in maybe a home where the trauma was just ongoing, we desperately needed someone to rescue us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I was looking. I, I think I had the awareness that I needed somebody to come mm-hmm. and rescue and get us out of here, but nobody came. And so our body learns how to stay alive. Our, our brain, the, the, the number one priority of our brain is survival. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, and we don't necessarily choose which way we're going, how we're going to do that. Our brain makes that decision for us. Yeah. So I think so through so much of my life, I I have longed for someone to come and rescue me and even help me understand what I didn't understand myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then as people, as now I do have people in my life who can see me and notice when I've checked out and say, or when I move past something quickly, this happened last night where we were talking about something and I'll pack, I often do this, I will pack something important in a paragraph and then move past it quickly. And I don't do it intentionally, but you caught it and you said, ooh, can we slow down? Can we go back there? Because that felt important. That kind of response is to me like, that is what I have longed for my whole life. That to me is love of someone seeing me in distress, even when I didn't, I could have easily moved past that. I wasn't consciously aware even that I had done it. You slowed me down. We went back to it. We sat in it. And I remember, I mean, I wept some tears. And so being seen by someone who can move toward us is so important. And reality is there, I think there just aren't a lot of people in our world that see hypo arousal well and then know how to really move toward us. Mm-hmm. Your story is a story of severe abuse, right? In, in every realm. Yeah. And you would think that you would have grown up with this sense of the amount of injustice you lived under. And yet it took you years to not make excuses and minimize. Make excuses for my parents. Right. And minimize the harm. Yes. And that I think is one of the qualities of hypo arousal, right? We do minimize everything. Because we were in a situation where we couldn't cope with the severity, although like I couldn't, but maybe one of my siblings moved toward hyperarousal. So people in the same setting will move toward different ends, can can move toward different ends on the spectrum of the window tolerance. But yes, and it wasn't until I actually had other people get serious and name things. And I think 
I even have the tendency at first to say, well, no, 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 it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And then to have people say, oh, yes, it was. Right. And, and that was huge for me to have somebody helping me begin to recognize that I can make a big deal about the injustices yeah. that I suffered. And that was something that was silenced for in me for 60 years, literally. Yeah, and I like the way you're saying that you can make a big deal, but you're not saying that it needs to be an all-consuming deal. Yeah. That that alone defines you. And it's also not a lashing out. Right. It's more me being able to be at the place where I can say, what happened to me was horrible. It had profound impacts on my entire life. And I had to minimize it just to survive. Mm -hmm. I had to be silent. And I'm not going to be silent anymore. I'm going to say, this was huge. It hurt me severely. And it's okay for me to say that so that I can heal. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that you can move in what you now want to help others make sense of their own stories and their own journeys right? in a way that releases contempt for self, releases contempt for others Mm -hmm. in a way that we can name what's true, but we're not calling our parents necessarily evil. Although there are levels of harm that we can call evil for sure. And we can name it in the right context. Mm -hmm. I'm not going out and and trying to publicly humiliate, lash out. And right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's so good that you've been able to come up a little. That's that space for you of coming into the present for you is allowing yourself to use your voice, name what you need and want. Yeah. And grieve. And grieve. Like to actually be able to feel the sadness and feel the anger and ex- and express tears. I read recently, I don't, I think this might have been Dr. Seuss who said something like, it wasn't Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> I always so, like what Dr. Seuss I know, he had a good quote about it too. <laughs> what soap is for the skin, tears are for the soul. Mm, yeah. And tears are so cleansing. And it's like, I waited so long. I wanted to be able, I did. I wanted to be able to cry the tears that were locked inside. And now I can, and I do, and it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. You know, I didn't know you as well in that space. So when I first started meeting you, that it was the beginning of your tears starting to come. Mm-hmm. And so oh, my heart does hurt for that little girl that just didn't get to cry. And the teenage girl and the young adult woman and the married woman and the mom that had to shut all that down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a little bit about hypo arousal and how it has looked in my story. And let's turn toward your story a little bit. And how would you, how would you describe what you look like both internally and maybe also what other people would see when they see you in a place of just being in distress about loss? I go back to my childhood 
And I see myself as a very active little girl. I was running, riding my bike. One time I climbed up on top of a church roof because somebody said they'd give me a quarter if I jumped off. I didn't think twice about those things. I just did it. (laughs) There was something about the intensity of things Mm -hmm. that gave me life. But what, what happened in that is it created patterns that I wasn't able to slow down because the feelings of intensity and grief and loss and all of that, that it was there, but I, instead of being with it, I would turn into doing something, starting something, mm-hmm. movement in ways that really were coping behaviors, yeah. although it looked really productive. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But what is the feeling that you feel inside when those feelings of grief or sadness come up? What happens to you inside that probably then promotes you. Yeah. It comes with the feeling of this pit in my stomach that feels very heavy, but it feels empty. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know what's in there. Mm-hmm. It just feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And so that will begin the process of getting hyper aroused. Mm-hmm. The energy comes in my body. Yeah. And if I don't catch it, mm-hmm. I will either numb it or I will get very active in some way. Yeah. And like I said, the tendency to get really productive looks good. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that those feelings are actually an invitation for me to get still, yeah. to get quiet. Yeah. It's going to be different for you. Yeah. And so now I'm able to do that. Yeah. And oh, it's been so wonderful to... Mm-hmm no, I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And that allowing those feelings to come, because as a little girl, the message was, these feelings are going to kill you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's the truth, right? We, We feel like if we go into the depths of the despair or pain, that it will just be our undoing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it's not a conscious awareness really, but we learn this very young and our brain just moves us toward ways that keep us alive and help us survive. Yeah. And so what disrupts that? Mm-hmm. We can, I'm going to just say, we can't really do that on our own. I, I'm not saying there's not things we can learn, but when you get into the changing of the neural pathways and the healing and creating new patterns, almost always it's because you have now found someone or someone has found you, however that looks, yeah. and they can contain you. Mm-hmm. They can see you. Yeah. Like I always had the feeling that I'm way too much. I would go into a group mm-hmm. And I would feel too big, too much, you know, and I can still feel that way at at the pearls. I, I, in fact, I felt it last Friday Mm. and one of you said, oh no, we're not done with you. And I'm like, it's always done with me. It was so sweet to my soul that I felt like I was taking up too much space. And somebody said, we want more of you. Yeah. 
it was like, yeah, this heals the brain. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such an important part of how we really need up someone else. We've heard this statement so many times. We were wounded in community and we heal in community. Yeah. And we struggle alone. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of aloneness. I mean, we're we're used to handling these things alone. We haven't had people who walk beside us or or come toward us in our grief and loss. We've done it alone. And so I'm just thinking about our listeners who might feel like, yeah, like you keep saying you need you need someone who can help you. And so who do I find? You know, I don't know anyone. And, and this is where it's really, I will say, and I know we both believe this, that finding a person who is a trauma-informed coach or therapist or story group because is so important because the particularities and the complexities of this kind of trauma are severe and they're difficult to heal from. And when we become aware that we are struggling, mm -hmm. I just want to say, I want to give permission to our listeners to like find help, like go for it. What find the money, sell something, ask for a loan. I mean, it this more than I will say, more than any other thing that you can spend money on, mm -hmm. this is worth it. This changes life. This has this kind of healing has opened the door not only to joy and goodness, but to the love that I literally longed for my entire life. Yeah. And so I just say, like, find a way, begin your search to find someone who can enter this realm with you. Mm -hmm. So true. And so good, share that you found your people. Yeah. And I found my people. Yeah. And there are more people. And you are my people. And you are my people. So when we are able to heal those spaces and places that have been traumatized through through childhood trauma, it opens up spaces in us and things like, I mean, it gets into the practical realm of being able to start the business that you've always wanted to start. Yeah. You know, being able to end a relationship that you couldn't previously end, but it really does need to end. Yeah. That gives me a panic attack just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But, and I just want to highlight, sometimes relationships need to end because they are preventing our flourishing. Yes. You said that earlier, and I thought it's so true. It's like both you and I have a very difficult time ending relationships, but we have done it. And it's because... We came to the point where we recognize that this particular relationships at this point in time was preventing us from flourishing in ways that we had come to really value. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even mean that there won't be repair at some point. I yeah. think we both hold hope for that. I saw a meme the other day and I just thought it was so beautiful. It was something like, don't forget that there's beauty in endings. And it was all these snapshots of sunsets. Mm. And I just stared at that because, and we will talk more about this on another podcast, endings felt fatal to me. Yeah. And now I know that ending is just a transition. Yeah. It's just a transition. Yeah. And so there's grief there. There's loss there many yeah. times, but, but it's unto something else. Well, and I think about the 
seasons and how in fall or autumn there is such a beauty, but it ushers us into winter, Mm -hmm. which is, I'm from Minnesota, which is long and hard. And and our seasons of winter of our soul are long and hard and lonely and and difficult a lot of times. And so, yes, I actually, literally, I hated fall for so much of my life, just starting to really appreciate the beauty of fall and, and even the beauty of winter as a season and even the winters of my soul. And they're not as long and they're not as deep yeah, and they're not as dark. And as we close, I would like to just ask our listeners to consider where are you on the window of tolerance? Can you begin to identify when feelings of grief and loss and pain begin to emerge in you or something happens that's tr- that triggers you or dysregulates you? Which end of the spectrum do you tend toward? And then can you slow down and maybe grab a journal and just begin to write about what you are feeling in that moment, tune into your body. What do you feel in your body and maybe in your stomach or in your throat or tension or anxiety? What do you feel in your body? And where are you landing on on the spectrum? Because identifying that is a huge first step. Once you've identified that, then you can begin to move toward how do I slow down or how do I even rise, rise up? And so, yeah, you'll identify more what you're needing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've identified what you're needing, you can move toward it or you can reach for it or you can ask for help. And that's the big thing I want to say. And just closing, like you can ask for help. We bless that. So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to give Cher a hug. We don't get to give each other hugs when I'm in Missouri. Yeah. She's in Minnesota. But we just enjoy this time with you and this time with one another. And I'm just so grateful for you. Yeah, me too. I love you, friend. Love you too. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media, like subscribe and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Audistory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.